0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: Yeah, I think the days of um, just doing procedures on patients and and looking at the Natalies of the world and say, "Here you go, I did the procedure. You're on your own. Um, you won't have a service." I, I I don't think that that's possible in 2018.
2: Yeah, and I think that that is really really helpful to me. That Julie's the one ordering the post procedure labs as often as necessary, making sure that, you know, their liver functions, okay, that their pain is controlled or appropriate after the procedure, because um my, like we've mentioned, oncology is becoming so complex. I've, I'm trying to keep up with my own, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> with my own stuff on how to manage patients. And, and I think, you know, the person doing the procedure really needs to be really involved with the whole process beginning to end so that something some complication is not missed or that the patient's really handled the most
0: appropriately and safely. Welcome to the Backtable podcast. Backtable is a resource created by IRs for IRs to connect with your colleagues and learn tips, techniques, and the ins and outs of the devices in your cabinets. Download our free iTunes app to access all previous episodes of our podcast, blog posts, and procedure-specific content to help you grow your practice. Today's podcast is brought to you by Surefire Medical. Surefire's pressure-directed infusion system improves selective delivery of embolic material and minimizes non-target embolization. Learn more at surefiremedical.com. This is Michael Barraza returning as your host. Today we're learning insights to building a robust interventional oncology program through partnership between interventional radiology and oncology. I'm thrilled to welcome guests from both ends of the table. Dr. Julie Zayeta, an interventional radiologist, and Dr. Natalie Stanton, an oncologist, are joining us from Tucson, Arizona. We're thankful for the opportunity to learn from your experiences. Uh, Thank you both for joining us. Uh, I was hoping you guys could just start by telling us a little about uh, what you guys are doing now uh, and the program that you've been able to build. Sure. Sure
2: we um I think the the biggest part of our program or the thing that's made us most successful as a team is that we have a very uh, robust tumor board conference to discuss cases uh, as a group with not on, not only interventional radiologists uh, but also other medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, the pathologists and the and the surgeons that are involved with the patients. Um, I think that uh, this is most helpful because a lot of times we're all pretty uh, short-sighted or uh, focused on our own discipline, and um, a lot of times the other the other pieces uh, give us uh, more insight or different ideas as to treatment to to maybe patients that we didn't think would qualify or be able to use multidisciplinary approaches more effectively um, by our um, Uh, our conferences. Our conferences right now are held every two weeks, so we're really uh, in contact quite frequently together.
0: How long have you guys been working together?
2: Um, Well, I've been an
1: interventional for 17 years, and then Natalie joined the team four years ago. Um, And this um, multidisciplinary conference really was the brainchild of, as Natalie said, realizing we all have different um, skill set to bring to the table. And I think as cancer management has evolved, uh, we've gotten away from the cookie cutter, cutter um, treatment of patients to individualized treatments for patients, especially when um, you know, the days of a single cancer in patients has changed, where sometimes you'll have patients that this is their second or third cancer that you're trying to deal with. Uh, so you're dealing with dynamics of of rapidly evolving treatments, um, complicated patients, um, multi-disciplines that can bring something to the table. Um, so that's where it's evolved into this multidisciplinary conference so that we can really touch on all the potential treatment options available to patients.
0: How frequently do you guys meet?
1: So we meet every, we meet two weeks or two days a month. Uh, and like, uh, Dr. Stanton said, we have medical oncology, radiation oncology, uh, surgeons, hepatobiliary, colorectal, Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a gastroenterology there, we have pathology, interventional radiology, um, all uh, discussing uh, patients uh, in a conference, looking at the imaging, looking at the pathology, uh, going back and forth, um, what is the best treatment option, what should we do first, if this doesn't work, how do we proceed forward, and then we package it Uh, in a letter uh, to the patient's primary care physician. So the primary care physician, who's the gatekeeper of the patient, has a handle on where the patient is in their treatment and what is going to happen moving forward. Um, And also we send it to all the specialists. So anyone taking care of the patient knows where their uh, cancer therapy is at that moment.
0: It sounds like most of what you guys are doing in terms of interventional oncology was was born through this. I guess the tumor board is that correct? Yes. So how did it grow from there? You know, what did you start offering, and then you know, where did it it go? You know, over time.
1: So everything from uh, diagnosing the cancer um, uh, biopsies to chemoembolizations, radioembolizations, microwave ablations, cryoablations um and that is um all discussed at this conference so we have pretty much all the arms of interventional oncology open and options for these patients
2: and you know i would add that what i think has been most helpful for me especially as a younger physician is that i'm really beginning to bring more and more patients to the conference where um uh, from my field that I think I know what I'm you know what I'm focusing on their treatment to be but that surprisingly, have other treatment options that I haven't thought of. For instance, hey, you know, when I'm looking at the scan, I think, gosh, that liver tumor's huge. I don't there's nothing to be done but chemotherapy. But then I talk to my other colleagues and, and really um, bring more to the patient as far as using interventional radiology techniques, sometimes combined with surgical techniques, not only one discipline all at, all at a time for a patient, even who's quite advanced at presentation. So I think it's really helped to build the practice. Uh, and to build um, many more resources for the patients that um, are not so uh, pigeonholed into just chemotherapy alone,
0: you bring up an important point natalie uh, and and that is is really educating the the different members of this partnership. Uh, you know I know for me it 's a challenge knowing you know keeping up with the different types of chemotherapy uh, and you know when they're going to be indicated, what they help for. Uh, is this really the best route? Is this tumor board, how you manage to, to kind of educate each other and, and keep everybody prized to new and developing therapies?
2: Um, I think it's the, the most important or main way uh, that we have right now, but I'll also tell you that there are a lot of times that I'm calling Julie on her cell phone, you know, Hey, look at this image in between tumor boards. Hey, what do you think? Am I crazy for thinking this? You know, so we really, it, it really goes down to relationships with other physicians and being able to have easy access to them and to be able to uh, bounce ideas off of them to, to really care for the patient more effectively. And like I say, present more and more patients to each other um, than, than just the straightforward ones.
1: And I I think you are right. I I think uh, oncology is so complicated now. Um, And I think if you work in isolation You're correct. It's very difficult for you to keep track of not only advances in your specialty, Mm -hmm. but knowing the advances in other specialties so you can provide uh, good, reasonable advice in what to offer the patient. What I love about this conference, um, I certainly don't pretend to know everything, and I, I think the best part of this conference is when we get into deep discussions and, frankly, arguments about what we think the best option is for the patient. And it's done in a collegial manner. Um, But we do challenge each other when we say, I think I can provide this to the patient. And when your colleague looks at you and goes, well, wait a minute, let's think about that. Is that really the best approach now is, or should we wait? Should we do this other thing first and then use your therapy? Um, So... Um, it can get heated, um, but I think that is the benefit of having this type of conference, um, where you challenge each other, and it elevates, um, it elevates your
2: service, and it elevates the treatments that you can give patients. Absolutely. The other point I think I'd make to that is that you know Julie and her colleagues also periodically give conferences based on their specialty. So other physicians can come to the conferences and really hear even more details on, you know, what, what are the new things available? What are they interested in? What are, you know, what, what patients are the most appropriate? So a little bit even more detailed um, delve into their world that we're not, you know, as medical oncologists, we're not always up to date on their portion of things. We're focused on our drugs. And so Um, I think having each member of the team also having their own uh, educational sessions is really important.
0: Okay. Julie, tell me, uh, you know, a bit more about, you know, you said you guys are offering pretty much everything that people are doing in interventional oncology. Were there any challenges in starting any of these, uh, like Y90, for example?
1: Well, certainly, um, you know, as you know, working in a hospital environment nowadays, um, we definitely have to balance um, treatment and cost Um, you know people don't think about it but cost is definitely um, uh, in the equation when you start doing a new procedure at a hospital Um, I would say that when we started to do Yttrium 90 at my local hospital it was easily six to nine months pre-work before we even did our first case. Um, from talking to administration to talking to uh, coding and billing, uh, talking to the staff, uh, talking to all the nurses, taking care of the patient. Uh, it was, you know, working with another department, nuclear medicine. Um, it was multiple meetings, multiple conferences, educational lectures, um, and really any new therapy um, that's usually what you have to go through right now. Um, But first and foremost, uh, the hospital has to agree that this is something that they want to be involved with and support. And luckily, we're in a system where uh, the hospital that we work at um, is very committed uh, not only to having these services available to patients, but actually supporting our multidisciplinary conference, which is how we got our nurse navigator and how we got the resources to have the conference. Um, So I think that's the, I would say that's the biggest challenge for everyone is to get administration to buy into why this type of setup is beneficial to them and to patients.
0: So, uh, in terms of taking care of the patients when they come in for a procedure, you know, let's say it's a chemoembolization or another procedure that may require a patient to get admitted overnight, who keeps the patient in-house?
1: So, in general, we will admit to an interventional radiology service, um, so we'll do the admission, we'll take care of the patients in the hospital um, if they have... Um, difficult medical problems, we will consult the uh, medical hospitalists to help us with that. Um, But in general, they will go on to our service. So we have a nurse practitioner, uh, myself, um, other interventional radiologists um, that will round on the patient and uh, take care of the patient while they're in the hospital.
0: Now, Julie, will you see the patients uh, before and or after in clinic?
1: Yeah, so we have an interventional clinic uh, every week. I see patients, so we'll see them beforehand. Uh, We'll see them in the hospital. We'll see them after in clinic, Um, basically treating it like a regular medical service. Um, I think um, anyone who does interventional radiology, uh, really the only way to have a successful service is to offer that, is to have a clinic, admit your patients, really have a handle on what's going on with the patients. Yeah, I think the days of um, just doing procedures on patients and, and looking at the Natalies of the world and say, here you go, I did the procedure, you're on your own, um, you won't have a service. I, I, I don't think that that's possible in 2018.
2: Yeah, and I think that that is really, really helpful to me that Julie's the one ordering the post-procedure labs as often as necessary, making sure that, you know, their liver functions, okay, that their pain is controlled or appropriate after the procedure, because um, like we've mentioned, oncology is becoming so complex. I'm trying to keep up with my own, (laughs) (laughs) with my own stuff on how to manage patients. And, and I think, you know, the person doing the procedure really needs to be really involved with the whole process beginning to end so that something some complication is not missed or that the patient's really handled the most appropriately and safely.
0: I agree, uh, especially in a time where there's so many new oncologic treatment options, you know, systemic, surgical, and percutaneous. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. uh, particularly for patients where there are numerous options for a single lesion, you know, if, if we're going to put ourselves in that light as somebody who can contribute, I, I think we have to be able to Perform as physicians beyond the interventional suite, you know, take lung ablations, for example. Uh, you know, if we're if we're gonna go out and do that for a lesion that could be, you know, a target for surgery or uh, SBRT, I think we need to be able to offer the same things as you know, as our surgeons and, and medical colleagues.
1: If you want to do interventional oncology, uh, if you wanna do those procedures, if you wanna be involved in the care of cancer patients. It really starts at ground level, uh, educating yourself not on just your specialty, but you have to have a handle on medical oncology. You have to have a handle on what the surgeons want to hear, what the GI doctors want to hear. You know, when we go through diagnostic radiology training and then interventional training, um, it goes beyond the simple... um, you know, there's there's a mass in the colon. It's there's a mass in the colon and we don't see liver mats and there's some lymph nodes there, plus or minus could be cancer. Um it, you know, you have to you have to think like a clinician, not a radiologist, I guess okay. is the best way to put it. Um you have I have to when I look at patients and consult for a possible infusion therapy. Um, I have to think about what can Natalie offer? Should this patient be seeing a surgeon? Is this possibly resectable? Or can we resect it and do ablative therapies? Um, Or uh, can the GI doctor uh, do an endoscopic ultrasound and put a stent in and then I can possibly do my ablative therapies? I mean, you have to... You really have to have a handle on what your colleagues are doing to make your your decisions better.
2: You be a better physician for those patients. Yeah, and I think, you know, it It sort of goes back to, to building relationships in your community, especially for interventional radiologists starting a program or young interventional radiologists. They need to meet their colleagues in the community from the other specialties. They need to present what... Um, what their strengths are and what they can provide to the community um, because if they wait for everything to come to them, they're going to miss out on a lot and the patient's going to miss out on a lot if that's the only thing that's happening. So I think really getting yourself out there and almost advertising to your colleagues uh, is, is really important in the in this realm as well. So when we see patients in clinic
1: um, we generate a, a consult letter uh, that goes out to not only the doctor that sent the patient to me, but also to all the other physicians that are involved in the patient's care. I think the biggest obstacle that I met when I started my career as a young interventionalist was to prove to other physicians that first and foremost, I am a physician Um, that I'm just not a technician putting in catheters into a patient, infusing things, and then calling it a day, that I am uh, directly involved in not only um, seeing that patient, but formulating a treatment plan, seeing the treatment plan done, but also seeing the patient afterwards to make sure that um, I have a handle on what's going on with the patient and I can move the patient to the next uh, treatment option. So I think for any young interventionalist, the important thing is, is to remember you are a physician first and foremost, you're an interventional radiologist second. Um, And that is what I
2: push to my colleagues is I can take care of your patient, you know, getting Julie's notes, as a medical oncologist is one thing, but when I read it, it's, you know, it's a complete consult note. There's a physical exam, there's labs, she's reviewed all, you know, their images, everything is there, just as if she would, the patient would go to any other physician's office. And so if, if I find that to be impressive, I can only imagine what the primary care thinks about that. And that, and the appreciation is really there that yes, she's a physician, she's taking care of my patient. It's not like now I have to know what to do with this, (laughs) or leave the charge there that that this is really a complete team of physicians, not just somebody I'm sending off, oh, hey, do this biopsy, do this procedure, and then she never sees them again. So um, it's really solidified um, the team approach. And I think her practice and made and made it much more, I don't know if credible is the right word, but uh, really, for everybody to realize, yes, interventional radiologists are physicians; they're not just technicians. And I think, as a new oncologist, me seeing that was really important.
1: And and we never stop there. Um, when patients get their follow up, I'm reviewing the imaging, I'm reviewing the labs, and we're generating another letter saying, okay, now we've done this treatment. Now, I've got the follow up imaging, I've got the follow up labs. This is how I think we should proceed forward. Um, And I think that's helpful um, Mm -hmm. to clinicians. Um, You know, just on the side, my husband is an internist in town, and I've treated some of his patients. And I think, you know, usually the medical oncologist. kind of know the direction we're going in Mm -hmm. because we've discussed it in conference, but the primary care physicians to get a letter from an interventional radiologist saying, we treated your patient. We've got the follow-up imaging. We've got a positive response, but we're not going to stop there. We are going to keep following your patients. And I always tell my patients when I see them in the office, you have me for life. Now you're not going to get rid of me. I am going to see you through uh, your treatment and see you through
0: all your follow-ups. When you have these follow-ups and you mm-hmm. know, these letters that go out, do you take care of all this yourself, or do you have somebody in your office to arrange this stuff? So we have a nurse
1: practitioner. So when we have clinic, uh, she will see the patients first. She will review their medical history to make sure we're not missing everything, anything. Um, then I see the patient, uh, come up with a game plan if there's any issues, questions. We'll bring them up at the multidisciplinary conference. Um, And then I have the world's best secretary who um, has um, a very complex computer spreadsheet and she knows what my basic follow-up is. So she will immediately contact the patient's um, when it's time to get their imaging, she mails out the um, blood slip So they get their lab work on what date they need it on. She's the one that calls the patients ahead of time, reminds them, it's time for your second treatment, Mr. Gribbish. So, um, you know, this is where you have to report. She sends out all the letters. Um, so I have just a fantastic team behind me, um, because it would be impossible to do it yourself. Um, though i When I started my career, I I did do that myself, and it it was really hard.
0: Yeah, I'm doing it now. It's brutal.
1: Yeah, a lot of after-hours work. But uh, once my group saw the benefits of having an interventional service and how it affected our relationship with referring doctors – Um, They really bought into it, so I was able to get the support staff to have clinic and have a nurse practitioner and have a dedicated secretary, um, which made all the difference in the world for my personal life. (laughs) And uh, I I frankly could not do what I do without a nurse practitioner. Um, There's no way to do procedures and still have a handle on your patients because patients are going to call you. I agree. And she's the front line. She's my face because I'm in doing cases. So she's answering their questions. She's answering the calls. She is seeing the patients on the floor um, to do the initial consult. Um, it, it's just impossible to do this yourself. Yeah. And
0: just somebody to keep track of all that, too, would be major. And, and to be honest with you, so, you know, everywhere, I think, uh, in combined interventional and diagnostic groups there, uh, is a battle to get like a real clinic. And when I started, uh, I didn't really make that much of a, a big deal about it. Cause I see my patients in clinic, but what I would do would just be like, Oh, just come to the hospital. Uh, I'll see you in my own made up clinic. I guess I didn't really put together the fact that like having clinic would be the, the key for me would be having somebody to run it. Um, like a secretary like that.
1: Yeah, she um yeah, that that was the first thing we did was basically I got the secretary. Um yeah. I did everything. I did the nurse practitioner stuff. Yeah, that was hard, but really you need a you need somebody to coordinate um your day. Um it, because you're essentially a surgeon and you're doing procedures and there's no way you can at the same time answer phone calls, make appointments, figure out who needs the next CT um, it, you know, does Mr. Jones need his labs? She does all that for me. And, uh, we've worked, she she actually has been with me my whole time, my whole 19 years. Um, so at this point, she is so good at figuring out what I need that it's, it's almost like a marriage. We
0: don't even talk. (laughs) She just kind of does it. How do you keep up with everything that's happening in the different fields? You know, I mean, uh, I'd like to hear what, What Natalie would have to say, you know, where I could start in staying up to date on on oncology literature, but, you know, it's a lot. How do you keep up with all of it?
2: Well, for me, I think that um, our practices are becoming a little bit more focused on tumor-specific cancers. And I think that that has been a real strength of my practice. Sure, I see a lot of other cancers, but in each office, we're really focusing on, hey, you know, I see most of the GI cancers, and my partner sees most of the lung cancers, and my other partner sees most of the breast cancers, and so on, so that we can each be um, more of an expert and have time to be more of an expert uh, in our field, because every, it's all growing so fast, and there are more and more options all the time to keep up with. Um, and then, you know, I, I look at online resources as things come out. I'm on uh, email server lists on, you know, new drugs and techniques. And and I usually go to a conference at least once a year to um, help to keep me up to date there as well. Um, and that's the other part of our conference too, is that, you know, I'm not the only medical oncologist there. We have other um, colleagues in our, spe- in our own specialty as well uh, that also bring things to the table. Hey, did you think about this new treatment that's out there? Hey, you know, how are you incorporating that into your practice? So a lot of um, communication within the specialty is really important uh, as well.
1: And and we do that in interventional radiology too. Um, I think the days of being a jack-of-all-trades are gone. And I think all of medicine, be it medical oncology, interventional radiology, even GI and surgery and internal medicine – Cardiology, um, all of them are becoming, frankly, realizing it's impossible to know everything about everything. Um, and to really be good at something, you do have to focus. Um, sure, I'm an interventional radiologist, and can I do peripheral vascular disease or, um, you know, can, can I do venous disease? Yes. Um, but really, I focus my um, my focus is on interventional oncology. So I can try to keep track of what's going on out there. Um, we also we didn't mention it at our conference. We always present a paper, mm-hmm. um, a research paper uh, every time we have a conference. So each physician in in the uh, conference is responsible for bringing um, a paper to the table, um, be it a new drug, be it a new interventional technique, be it a new surgery, uh, be it new radiation uh, radiation therapy. Um, and they give a quick five-minute, here's what's out there, here's what's happening, here's something new on the horizon, let's keep an eye on it, we could be using this. Um, And that's extremely helpful. Um, I've learned a lot uh, looking at those. And then you can take the paper home and read it yourself. Um, So that has really helped. Um, And, uh, you know, it's hard. It is hard to keep up on everything just in your specialty, much less your colleagues' specialties. Um, I know in interventional radiology, I do the same thing as Natalie. Um, I'm, I'm reading the journals usually major conference every year, if not two, if I can, um, the blogs actually interventional radiology. And I'm sure Natalie has them too in medical oncology. Um, there's blogs that are very up to date. You know, the problem with printed literature, it's always behind. Um, even conferences are a little bit behind with the information you get. But if you read a blog that is updated every day, um, you'll read things where you're like, Hmm, I kn- A, I didn't know about that particular technique or that paper. And, wow, that's something I potentially could add on to my armitarium of treatments.
0: Are there any in particular that you recommend?
1: Um, For interventionalists, I like the um, interventional radiology blog. Uh, The Sir blog um, is extremely good and up to date. Um, I also follow um, um, a couple of the interventional groups. Um, that you can get on their Twitter account um, is helpful. I know everybody says Twitter, but uh, some of the things that people write, they're actually interesting, provocative, uh, something you can look up. Um, But uh, I always, uh, I I love reading the Interventional blog, and I usually read that every day because there's always something uh, interesting going on, both, you know, on the political end of Interventional and the treatment end of Interventional.
0: I read it daily as well. And actually Twitter has completely changed how I learn. I've learned more technical information on Twitter than absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll plug our own. We love our back table blog. We're really getting some good stuff out there. Uh, and we'll continue to do that. One more question for you, Natalie. Um, you know, in terms of new treatments that, you know, we or, or any other specialty can offer, uh, what's the best way to get the word out? You know, is it, is it giving a talk? Is it, you know, just coming by the clinic, sending, you know, just an article? Um, what are the best ways for us to to reach out to colleagues to let them know of a new thing that we offer?
2: Well, I think giving talks has become more and more difficult patient, you know, physician's time and everybody's time is, um, in much more demand all the time, I think actually sitting everybody down for a talk is, is, is more difficult these days. But, um, I, I do like the idea of of podcasts. I think they're becoming more and more, um, easy to find, easy to use. You can use them at your own leisure sort of, uh, sort of thing. Um, and then I do pay attention to some of the, um, emails that I get that are, um, that I know where they're coming from, you know, I mean, you're bombarded with emails, but if you, if you have a reputable source that, you know, it's coming from, you can kind of filter out to, to, um, some of the services you like.
1: And on the interventional side, um, like Natalie says, you know, doing, getting a group of physicians for a conference is difficult, Um, But what we've tried to do is we will contact individual offices, Um, uh, one of Natalie's um, sister offices. We find out when their business meeting is. A lot of um, offices will have the first 10 minutes kind of as a what's happening uh, moment. And we try to insinuate ourselves into that 10 minutes. So we'll get a hold of the office manager and say, we'll be willing to just come in for that five, ten-minute blitz and let you know um, something new that we're offering. Um, so when we did Itrium 90, that's what we did. We got it out. Instead of trying to get a whole group of people together, we kind of hit them in small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and a business meeting in our office is perfect because they're going to be there. Um, so you go in, do your blitz, and you're gone. And you haven't you, – I think. I frankly think you've been – more effective than you if you had done a
2: big, huge meeting where there's listening to multiple talks. Yeah, I agree with that. I think when you're looking at the local level and uh, your community level, I think that's probably the most important, really short face-to-face meetings of, hey, this is my blurb. This is what I'm doing now. Give me a call. These are the patients that are appropriate kind of thing.
0: Well, thank you guys. This has been like superbly helpful. This is really good. Uh, actually really learned a lot. Lastly, I'd like to give a special thanks to today's sponsor, Surefire Medical. Surefire's pressure-directed infusion system improves selective delivery of embolic material and minimizes non-target embolization. Learn more at surefiremedical.com.
1: All right. Have a great Sunday.
0: All right. You too. Take care.
1: Bye-bye.